be live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast 2022 year in review. Probably a week or 10 days later than I should have done it, but I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to. I was unavoidably detained. And, uh, and that's the way life is. <clears throat> but even though it's, it's kind of in the first week of 23, I'm looking back anyway. It, it was a good enough year, and everything's relative, right? But it was a good enough year so that it deserves a, um, a look back. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a peek back. And I got to tell you, I was really, when I was writing up this list of, of who was on the show in 22, I was actually like, wow, these people, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of heart. There's a lot of intelligence. It's just a really impressive list of, of people. And I'm certain that when I look back at the list of guests for 2023 next year, I'm going to feel the exact same way. So, um, Let's start with the very first show of 2022, and that was Sports Coach. Now, Sports Coach is a, a renaissance man. He is a, a musician. He writes songs. He plays music. He is also a rock climber. Let me just, I'll give you a taste of, of what Sports Coach is all about. Crazy. Uh, that's cool, though. I like that. It's just one of those things where it's tough. But, all right, Desert Island, one TV show. I would probably go with, I would honestly probably go with Frasier. Um, nice. I love, I love the show Frasier. So one of my, it, it, 2022 started off with an amazing, um, an amazing interview with an amazing guest. And that was a lot of fun with, with, with sports coach. Um, and then, you know, sports coach, we go um, into uh, one of our new segments for 2022 and that's, Matt and Amelia fix everything. And Matt and Amelia are two of our friends. They purchased a home. Um, and they found that buying a home, you know, sounds like a great idea. But then you get into it and you realize that there's no one else there to do the work but you. Um, and, and we kind of um, get a sense of appreciation for how much uh, effort they're really putting into um, fixing their home. It's a great segment. Uh, and then we had, this was actually probably at the time, and maybe even still, like my favorite interview in terms of, uh, you know, the the person I'm talking to and, and how I, I kind of look to them. So it was uh, Sebastian Canelli, who is one of the best improv performers in the world. He's uh, with Rat Scraps. He's been on TV. He's been in movies. He's got his own podcast, Loud About Nothing. Very funny. Um, and I, when I was taking improv classes, they used to use a few of his videos as, um, as training examples. So I remember like watching this guy do improv over and over again, thinking, wow, he's just so good. Um, so good at it. And so I was like, I I'd love to, and I didn't know this guy from a hole in the wall. And, you know, so I, I, I wanted to have him on the show and he couldn't have been more gracious. So just a, a quick going absolutely bananas. This is amazing. I love that. <laughs> All right. We're going to play a game called 20 Questions, Sebastian. And it always starts in the exact same place. And that's question number one. Question number one. 
What are your thoughts on the concept that interstellar beings have visited here, our planet, several times and are actually living among us right now? Oh, I, I, I <laughs> all for the banger. I love this. Um, I 100% believe that. Um, I am a big alien guy. I actually think, uh, like, mathematically and scientifically, it's stupid to think that uh, aliens don't exist. And, of course, uh, they have uh, visited us, I believe, in the Anunnaki. Uh, They are currently here. If you see Nordic people with very large eyes, uh, that's how they're described. (laughs) The Anunnaki, um, they're among us, bro. So so you you should be aware of that. I don't think they mean any harm. I think they look at us as uh, stupid beings, and they're here to try to help move our lives forward <laughs> just talk about a perfect podcast guest like i he doesn't know me from anybody and the very first thing i ask him is uh like in a very normal way like don't you think it's it's weird that you know aliens have been living among us and you know in true improv fashion he rolled right with it uh thank you for being on the show uh then i got interviewed that's not interesting and then the week after that, uh, we had a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jason McHugh, um, who is the creative QB of Califari, but he's so much more than that. He actually also um, was part of Orgasmo. He's a super talented guy, and originally, um, and then we um, and then we made some art for another strain called Extreme OG, which is I've never heard of before, but um, we have some new art for that. And then um, and then our third strain is for Green Lantern which is um, really kind of one of my personal favorite strains and, and kind of a strain that's sort of near and dear to the company um, that we've gone out with a few times it's from our friends um, up in the Emerald Triangle at Lantern Farms. Um, and somebody I played Little League Baseball with back in the day. And no way. Became a farmer, and I don't know, they created this epic strain uh, that has an interesting backstory to it, but then went on to win an Emerald Cup um, for Best Sungrown um, a few years back. And so cool. <laughs> it's won in a couple of awards. So anyway, we're, we're, we're very excited about that strain in particular. Um, and we're... Great interview with Jason. And uh, go check out his website, Califare. Um, he has got everything from skateboard decks to, obviously, stickers, clothing of all different types, you know, lighters. He's got this amazing network of of artists who pick strains of marijuana such as Maui Wowie, Sour Diesel, Pineapple Express, just to name three. And they kind of, they, they bring that, that strain that's a name to life in the form of a, a, an amazing piece of art. And so I actually am looking right now in my studio, I've got three of his 36 by 24 canvas prints and they're incredible i mean they're one of a kind it's just uh you got to go check it out cool guy gracious you know one of the one of the bright spots i would say i mean they were all bright spots but again i was really proud of of that interview uh and then we talked to matt and amelia again they fix some more shit they avoid electrocution etc uh etc uh, and then I talked to uh, Andrew D'Angelo, who is <clears throat> someone that I um, I met back in the early 90s as part of the, um, the original hemp. Uh, I had a company called Lost Harvest, and uh, Andrew and his brother uh, founded a company called Ecolution. So I got a chance to hang out with them a few times back then, selling hemp together, going to 
you know, industry events. And now he is um, still involved in, but enough politics off the soapbox and on to the interview with another, another great guest. So, and it just confuses the elected officials that we're trying to persuade. So we're, I hope this year we'll get some reform um, in California and that will help um, not only restore the small businesses and social equity folks that are in the program right now, but get a whole bunch of new ones in and get some of the ones that had to leave back in. But I think we're looking at a couple year process of all that unfolding. And until, unless we make progress in Sacramento this year Mm -hmm. with respect to taxes, um, with respect to local control, um, it's going to be, it's going to continue to be real tough in California. So that's sort of the, uh, another great, great guest. Again, it was, it was so cool to reconnect with him. I mean, I probably, the last time I saw him was, you know, 1999, something like that. And to have him still be in involved and, and still putting every ounce of energy he's got into, into the plant is, is really respectful. So, um, go check out, uh, both both him and his brother uh, Steve D'Angelo is also. I mean, these guys talk about pa- pioneers in, in the cannabis movement. I'm like, I, I can't overstate what these two uh, did uh, for all of us. Honestly, um, they really blazed trails by having uh, energy and intelligence and determination and perseverance and um, to never give up and to just keep with it. And they really did that. So. Um, Anyways, it was great to have them on the show. And then I had my friend Judd on for an episode of You're Probably Absolutely Correct. Always fun with Judd. Uh, then, you know, probably, arguably, certainly top three, but you could make an argument, a good argument, a strong argument, that this next episode was the best one of the year. Now, um, we had we were lucky enough to have Jason Bateman um, with an asterisk, uh, in our, in our studio. And we went through so many different topics. I mean, he's, he's a very well-known Hollywood star, right? And, um, so we needed to make sure that we were being, uh, economical with his time, respectful of his time, because he's kind of a big deal. Hedge funds that'll inevitably buy it all up and, uh, you know, continue to crush us all in the end. Mm. Yeah, so that that's probably that's probably a pretty good example of the of a call. Very, you know, very low key. You know, he doesn't really need to be on this podcast. He's just doing us a favor because you know we're old time pals. Um, but nonetheless, going through the motions, answering the questions, Jason Bateman highlight of the year for sure. And then another one I'd put in the I'm proud of category: uh, Michael Hartney, who was the founder of the Squirrel. Um, uh, comedy theater. He's also been the, he once was before and is now again, the artistic director for UCB New York. Uh, he's been on Broadway. He's been in movies. He's been on TV. He's a real talent. You know, he's like funny as shit, dances his ass off. Just a pleasure to talk to him. I mean, it's like, you can tell a lot about somebody and just the, the, the very simple act of, you know, establishing a time to have a conversation, the communication leading up to it, the actual conversation, the communication afterwards. And I can tell you that Michael Hartney is an absolute A plus human being truly. Um, 
go check him out at anything that he's in. He's a, uh, he's all over YouTube. He he's been part of a few different teams. Um, and let's just, let, let's hear a little bit. Yeah. I saw Judd Hirsch in something. <laughs> all I remember was that Judd Hirsch was in it. What the hell was it? Well, it was quite good. Judd oh, Hirsch, man. he's been in a couple. And Seriously. Sally Struthers is always there. She seems to be there every summer. Uh-huh. Um, oh, awesome. She's I a regular. Um, all right. So that was uh, me and Michael talking about Agunquit and how they have the Agunquit Playhouse and how they have such good shows there. Again, just a top-notch human being. Uh, thank you for being on the show. So you guys have all seen the Brady Bunch, right? Greg Brady was played by a guy named Barry Williams. And... The real-life Barry Williams is uh, lucky enough to be married to someone named Sydney Williams, and she is uh, the founder and uh, driving force behind Hiking My Feelings. Um, and another fun one, you know what I mean? Like, this is a person with a real passion, you know what I mean? Like, she's she's in this to help people. She's in this to to prop people up. It's a positive, positive thing that she's doing, and she's doing it the right way. And um, And... I'm a big believer in energy in general and, and normally face to face, you can tell energy pretty, pretty quickly. But if you can talk to somebody over the phone, you know, um, and, and you can feel it over the phone, you can just tell that person's a live wire and she is just a, a really a great person. Um, and let's see what, what she had to say during um, our brief time Everyone. together. To the no outlet. Eton, I love you and I'm your ride or die. Well, aside from traveling back home to San Diego from Maine mm-hmm. next week, our first destination is returning to the scene of the crime. And by the crime, I mean the inspiration. So our first stop once we get back home is we're hosting a hike where hiking my feelings began. As far as going somewhere outside of like the area that we live, um, we have a retreat coming up on Catalina Island that is in partnership with oh, our sweet. friends Kaleo and Melanie Wassman. Very cool. That's awesome. So that's Sydney Williams talking about um, the upcoming events for Hiking My Feelings. We met in an improv class in Newburyport, Massachusetts, and um, she's just a lot of fun. She's funny, and we've been doing improv together since then, uh, both you know taking classes, but then we also did a – um, a little performance, a production, if you will, um, the end of last year. Uh, she's just a lot of fun. And on top of all that, she's an actual opera singer. She's got an amazing voice. Uh, let's hear about being uh, an opera singer from the person that really knows about it. It's a bracket of sopranos. There's coloratura, and coloratura sopranos are light and flexible, and they go up on top of the range. Example would be Queen of the Night, Mozart. You always heard it. I can't imitate it because I'm not that soprano, but you've, you've definitely heard it on commercials and things like that. Sure. And there's other things like, you know, so there's color tour sopranos, and then there's lyric sopranos, there's full lyric sopranos, there's a light lyric soprano, there's dramatic sopranos, there's um, that thing heavy. A dramatic is a voice that is of a heavier weight that can carry over a larger orchestra. They usually sing works by like Verdi and Wagner and things like that. So Brunhild with the horn, it's not over till the fat lady sings. That would be an example of dramatic soprano. Mm-hmm. There's all these different branches there. And the same with mezzo, a little less. But- I mean, who knew there were so many different types of sopranos? I mean, the level of detail that she was able to provide uh, in regards to how opera works and how it's broken up was 
truly, truly eye-opening and 100% and obviously educational. So um, worth a listen there. Thank you so much, Emily, for being on the show. Oh, my goodness. It's like it, it's the greatest hits. This is like the grand finale of the fireworks show because when I look back at this year, I'm just like, wow, I was so fortunate to have all these amazing people say, yes, I will give you an hour of my time. Like I, I really do appreciate everybody saying yes, because it's not just an hour of your time, but then you think about it beforehand and you're like, what is he going to ask me? What the fuck does this guy want to talk about? Like, who is this guy? And then afterwards you're like, did I sound stupid? Did I sound smart? Is it going to be okay? But I always try to make, I don't want anyone to feel bad about the experience. And and I hope that's the way it is. Anyway, guy, John G from Mark's organic uh, medical marijuana dispensary from Kittery, Maine. They were on a TV show earlier uh, in the year. Um, they, I believe they won, and they got this whole makeover um, uh, of, their, of their dispensary. It looks amazing in there. It really does, and they really um, take pride in their work. And um, as the name would imply, it, it's an organic house. And um, John jumped on a, a, a call with us. We talked about, you know, what an amazing plant uh, marijuana is because it really is, and here's some of it. it is, yeah, that's one of our big attractions there. Well, it's the only attraction, really. Right. But uh, it's fun going through those fields. When I, as a kid, you know, I used to ride my bike, see the buddies and meat, smoke a joint, grab some apples. Always fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that that does sound like checking off the. Bike. So that was a little story about how him and his friends would obviously smoke a little weed, go have some fun in the apple fields. I mean, come on, if that doesn't sound like. New Hampshire, I'm not sure what does. Thanks for being on the show, John. Uh, you guys run a great shop there. Oh, my God. And, again, it's just like every time I feel like that's so cool, and this one that's even as cool. I am really into improv, and in the same point in time that I was being taught by UCB and I was taking their classes and they were showing me different videos, Sebastian Canelli, who I mentioned earlier and was lucky enough to interview, he was part of those training videos. And there was another person, and her name was Alex Dixon. And... Every time she would come on the screen, everything she said was funny. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, I'm never, I'll never be that good. Like she doesn't, it's effortless. It's almost like she's not even trying and it's just, she's killing. Um, so I was so impressed with that. I'm like, I got to talk to her. And again, talk about a gracious person. Like I'm nobody. I'm somebody who she does not even know. I'm out of the blue and I'm just like, Hey, let me talk to you for a half an hour, 45 minutes. And she couldn't have been she couldn't have been nicer about it. And um, I'm going to play a little bit of the interview right now. Them doing almost anything. Right. So what are they doing? They might not even live down there. They might fly away and then hang out down there sometimes to get food, and then they go back to Mars. Right. We don't know. So we were talking about um, just to clear up that you know sliver of a conversation. We were talking about um, interstellar beings and aliens already being here and and her theory is and i think she's right um is that they might already be here and where they'd most likely to be and not be found is you know five miles under the water like in the middle of the pacific ocean or wherever so she was basically saying like there's interdimensional beings and aliens already here and they're those weird crazy fish down below and i i think she's on to something and um she's been in a bunch of stuff too she's like a very classically trained actor um, and uh, super funny, and uh, she is also part of Rat Scraps as well. Um, just a great group of people that are are 
beyond talented. So thanks for being on the show. Um, another great one. We had Summer Star um, from Enviro Textiles, another in the uh, line of people that I respect for continuing to support the hemp plant. Um, again, and I'm only saying this for, for context and reference, in the early 90s, I had a hemp company um, called Lost Harvest. We were one of the first hemp companies in the United States at the time. And um, she, her mom was a true, talk about a trailblazer. She was an early adopter of hemp. She was, she was five years before anybody else. And she wasn't just like, you know, buying fabric in bolts and, and reselling it. No, no, no. She was designing the fabric. Like she was figuring out like, what is this fabric going to feel like? What am I going to make it with in terms of different size hemp threads? Like, how do I make this? Um, so she was nice enough to come on and talk about hemp in general. And so it's a little bit of that. There's been times where I've asked her like, how, how'd you know what to do? Like, how'd you achieve this? Whoa, what, you know? And she's going, I don't know. I just saw it. I saw in my mind what I needed to do. And implemented it and it worked. It was like she was being channeled or something, you know, and it, it just goes to show that, you know, some people are really put on this earth to do particular jobs and, um, and, you know, this generational information that kind of continues along to your next of kin is so real, you know, and she's saying, I just saw it. I don't even know where it came from. And I'm going, man, I don't have that gift. You know, I have to sit there and really learn it. And luckily I've had enough years of learning that I can put things together pretty quickly, but you know, I definitely don't have that connection um, to the process of how, how to make new things create and, and work together like she does. So so that was a, an ode to her mother and what a great uh, pioneer she was. Uh, thank you so much, Summer Star, for being on the show. Go check them out, Enviro Textiles. Then I had a chance to speak with Lindsay LaPointe from The Freelance Adventurer. She is a local hiker who is trying to get people encouraged in going hiking uh, for health and to be part of like a you know, good bonding time for a family and just to be one with nature and kind of like decompress. And and she does a really nice job online of kind of giving a highlight reel of where to go because, you know, it's like you can go online, there's different apps, but it's really nice to have somebody giving you a perspective of, okay, here's hike, you know, bubbly brook or whatever it is, and I'm going to walk it for you. Then you get to see everything so you feel totally comfortable then going and literally following in her footsteps, right? So, um, it's, it's a great idea. She's got a, a really good following and, um, uh, it was a pleasure to have her on the, on the show. Let's see what she has to say. Really click with me. And like, if you, if you've seen my, my Instagram freelance adventure, like it's, there's so much love for New Hampshire hiking and it's totally genuine, you know, like I'm just like massively into it. So it's, it's been in my blood but the really kind of hardcore backpacking, spending many days outside that came from moving to New Hampshire. I love it. I was born and bred in yeah. New Hampshire. It's a great state to <laughs> live there. Um, so-, so we're just geeking out on being granite staters, but you know, cool person, good idea. Hey, you know, it's like at the end of the day, it's like you can choose to do with yourself, whatever you want to do. If you want to sit in a corner and you want to talk about how hard things are and how bad things are and how tough things are, guess what you're going to get more of? You're going to get more of all of that. If you spend your time putting it, if nothing else, 
pointing out a positive that you do that other people might be able to enjoy and just only add, right? There's no subtraction there. Like I'm going to go on a hike and I'm going to film it for you so you can go check it out too. And that's going to be a good thing for you for a dozen reasons. You know, that's just a, a net positive on the karmic balance sheet for, for everybody that's on this plane of existence. Like it's really, you know, and I know that sounds a little bit woo woo, but it's the absolute truth, man. You know what I mean? Like what you put out there is what you get back. And that's a good example. If you're ever in Newmarket, New Hampshire, or anywhere near Newmarket, New Hampshire, there is one thing on your list that you absolutely positively have to do, and that's go visit Chris at Savannah Kitchen. Let me tell you something. I'm a big foodie. I'm a huge restaurant guy. I, I love going to get the whole experience. Like, And I love seeing all the different ways that people interpret what that should be like you know you walk in someplace and they treat you like you it's you know you're they're rolling the red carpet out and they're like treating you like royalty and other places just like yep yeah, over here and it's like that doesn't mean the food's not going to be good or bad but everything's a little bit different it's a kaleidoscope and what chris has done really well at savannah kitchen is he's built an energy there so with it, when you walk in that restaurant you just feel like okay this is a really good group of people lots of talk uh, great vibe, great energy, and then you sit down and you are very happy to find that the drinks and the service there at the bar is probably second to none in that town. I think that's the best bar in, New, in Newmarket and maybe even expand that out. That might even be my favorite bar uh, until you get to Portsmouth, and it puts a lot of those to the test. I mean, it's a really cool bar. It's a really it's It's one of a kind to be sure. And then the food is amazing like it's easy to kind of just say oh well it's really good southern food no it's really good food and they happen to have a cajun southern kind of flair to it but that's that should not be a distractor to the quality of of product that 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 chris is putting out there so so let's see what he has to say concepts if they're outside of the south are usually not very representative of of the actual food the actual uh cuisine and they try to fake it and we don't do that um we've got we got the bases covered between uh vegetarian meat seafood you name it it's covered and it's also um since it's southern it makes it very easy to uh to really lean into the gluten-free because there's a lot of cornmeal corn flour and so our fryer is totally gluten-free and it's a it's a very it's a very unique concept with lots of cool food and some very cool craft cocktails. Yeah, no. I agree with that. That is a good description. That's Chris Caddy himself, owner, head chef, executive chef, I believe is his his title. Uh, check that episode out and go check out Savannah Kitchen. Then Matt and Amelia come back. They fix a few more things. They avoid, I think in that episode, they avoided hitting either the water main for the city or... Uh, electrical wire or maybe both but they're both still with us and then i tried something different i tried to um do a watch along which i really feel like a watch along is only good if you've got video and i haven't quite got there yet video but i did a watch along for the show barry uh season three episode six seven ten and and first of all if you haven't seen barry go watch barry it's an amazing show um bill Hader is incredible it henry winkler's in it it's it's really, really well done. 
and the best part about it is it's like it's so tight and and edited i think one episode was like 19 minutes some are 20 22 24 so it's not a huge investment and and the and the it, they write it so tight like they they tighten that script up so that there's not a wasted second so you never you never feel ever for a second like i'm bored with this show like it just keeps going and it's a great story um then i spent a few minutes talking about like you know people uh that leave that chronically leave bad reviews um and how how harmful it is and how hateful it is and like how if you really want to get a point across, if you've got a legitimate piece of criticism, absolutely you should be able to direct that in in a way that you think is going to make a difference. But here's my question. Will you get more effect by going directly to the business owner first and saying, hey, I'm a patron, I spend money with you, and here's where I felt like the my customer experience fell short and, and provide that feedback directly to someone who can do it or... Do you think it's better to go online, give a one-star review, and just trash this company with with really no – you're not interested at that point in making anything better. You just want to spew your negativity out there um, and put it against somebody else. And these people are trying to make a living. Like I, my mother was a small business owner for his, my entire childhood, you know, and uh, it, it, they, these people are literally putting – these restaurant owners are, are putting the food in their table day to day you know, um, trying to make it work harder now than it's ever been before. And um, that doesn't make it any easier. So again, you don't like the service, you don't like the food, there's a spot in your spoon, whatever your complaint is, first of all, you should probably rethink what you're complaining about because we're so fortunate with with what we have here. But put that aside and then say, okay, well, you got a complaint with an establishment, then go to them, you know, don't, don't be, don't be hurtful on purpose. It'll, it'll all come back to you. Just don't do it. Uh, then we talk about TikTok, dangerous or not. And then we get to one, the one that I'll never forget doing, no matter what year it is. So my father, um, David Jewell, an amazing man, um, passed away in 2022. And, um, you know, he, he had a really, he beat cancer in 1991. Uh, they gave him less than 1% chance to make it. He made it. He was cancer-free and lived a great, um, fun, happy 31-plus more years. Um, and at the end, it you know, it, it wasn't looking really good. And so Father's Day came around. And, you know, without going into a whole lot of detail, it, it was, wasn't easy for him to speak all the time. So I could never really have him on the podcast and and truth be told when i started the podcast the the first person that i wanted to talk to was my father you know he was the first one that i wanted to ask questions to um and just have a conversation with because i love i love this medium i love having conversations and you know i love him right so it, it was a natural and i could never really do it so but i wanted him to know I wanted him to know that that was something that I really wished could have happened. So the best thing I can do is I took Father's Day this year and I devoted the whole show to just talking about my dad. And I told stories about when we were growing up and I told stories about, you know, things he did that he probably doesn't even realize that I I know he did or that I saw he did, you know. Um, And and so I, I, I think he 
when he, when he heard the podcast, which I know he listened to it because he told me right afterwards that he needed it. Um, I know that half of it was probably information that he had never heard before for the first time. And it was really emotional. It was like, you know, heartfelt and, you know, sincere and deep. And, um, you know, it was really, it was the best way that I had at the time to express to him, you know, what, what a great person he was and, and how thankful I was to have him as a father. And he, the minute I sent the two the link to him, you know, it's like, I, I think it was like 40 minutes long or 35 minutes long, whatever it was like that much time in a second, I get a text from him saying, you know, thank you so much. I really needed that, you know, and it was really good to know that, you know, I knew he didn't have much more time on this planet. And I knew that I had some things that I wanted him to know. And I wanted to say to him, Dian Bahar on, um, and he is somebody who, um, was also part of the South Park gang. He went to college with the creators of South Park. He's been on several episodes. He's been in, he was the star of Basketball. He's also been in Orgasmo, and he's been in a bunch of other um, uh, pieces with uh, Matt and Trey. There, I got it right. Um, and he he's just a really cool guy too. And he's also, he was in... Um, the Guillermo del Toro movie that starred um, Bradley Cooper and uh, I forget the name of it now, but um, let's see here. Uh, Nightmare Alley. I knew I'd get it. Uh, he was in Nightmare Alley and just a, a really funny, cool guy and very gracious. You know, again, I just, you know, I sent him an email. No problem. Let's do it. And let's hear what he had to say. It was amazing. It was really fun because it, uh, you know, he'd obviously made me laugh so many times with, like, obviously Airplane and then Naked Gun and stuff. Right. So to have a chance to actually make him laugh just felt really special. It felt really cool. I just, that was one of the most awesome times I've ever had filming something. We filmed for so long, too. We filmed for 11 weeks. Wow. It was every day, Monday through Friday. I had my own car. I had my own driver. I felt like a total movie star. It was awesome. I had this Lincoln Town car that came and picked me up every morning took me to the studio and I'd work all day and then they'd drive me home. And, uh, I just was so excited every time that guy showed up in my driveway. Cause I was like, (laughs) I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go fucking make David Zucker laugh. I'm going to make a bunch of people laugh. I'm going to laugh all day. I'm literally just going to get paid to hang out and laugh. Like it was so, Oh, what a great story. I love it. Like a guy that appreciates, you know, what what he's doing is so super cool and okay i tried to get i tried to get this next guest on the show for so long i think probably the longest i've ever tried and i never want to have to try that hard again to get somebody on the show but i will i will um so this person her name is wendy winans she is without question the foremost expert of the brady bunch on the planet earth there's no two ways about it uh, she runs a website called BradyWorld.com. She's been on a TV show. Um, so, again, when I first asked her, she was like, nah, I'm all set. And then I think I asked her maybe like six months later, no, nah, I'm all set. And out of the blue, she emailed me. And then she was like, you know what? I'm going to be on a TV show. I think it would be a good time to be on. I'm like, perfect. And so, you know, I knew she ran this website, right? And I knew she was obviously a fan. But I got to be honest with you. I'm going to admit something right now. At the time, I'm like, 
I know as much as she does. Like, I know as much about the Brady Bunch as this woman does for sure. There's no way she, I mean, I, me and my brother, like, spent many hours glued in front of the TV watching Channel 56 and 38 hour after hour after fucking hour of Brady Bunch. And so I'm like, there's nothing I don't know. Well, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. There are levels, right? It's been said before, and it'll be said again because it's accurate. There are levels, and there are levels to the Brady Bunch game, and no one's on Wendy's level. She is in a class by herself, um, and no one's ever going to come close. I mean, I was bringing things up, and she was just like, oh, no, it wasn't that. It was this. I'm just like, oh, my God, she's right. She's amazing. Let's hear a little bit from Wendy. Oh, no. <laughs> Is that a good idea um, well, or a bad idea? I was recently listening to Barry Williams and Christopher Knight's podcast, The Real Brady Bros, yeah. and they were talking about the actual Hawaii episode, and they were saying it's all in the perspective that okay. in, in every situation – where like where the wall hanging fell on Bobby, because right. bad like he was wearing the tiki tiki. You flip it and say, "Hey, it was actually good. Like he wasn't hurt." Okay, I like that. Uh, now that's obviously talking about the very probably the most famous Brady Bunch episode when they go to Hawaii and Craig gets a tiki necklace and all kinds of bad things happen. Anyway, the takeaway there is number one: she's actually got a personal relationship with both Greg and Peter Brady, which is pretty incredible. Go check out Brady World. Go check out our interview on MeTV. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Then we had um, a woman, uh, Sailor Aaron. Aaron. I always get told I say that name wrong uh, because there's A-A-R-O-N, which is Aaron, right? Aaron. And then there's Aaron. And I guess I'm not very good at um, always doing it the right way. Anyway, Sailor Erin, uh, she sailed to Bermuda and all the way back from Newport to Bermuda and back again. Like that's, it's pretty incredible. And we talk through all the different parts of being a sailor and it's pretty badass because I certainly would not have, you know, the nerve like part like bored with partying with non-sailors. Yeah. yeah, no, it, you're absolutely right. It was so fun. It was kind of crazy because we finished at, it was like 2.54 in the morning. So it was like we finished wow. in the middle of the night. And then to get to the, we finished on one side of the island and then the mm-hmm. yacht club was on the other side. So we had to, you know, we threw on the motor and it was like a three-hour motor to the yacht club. And, you know, we made some drinks. We, you know, some people took naps. And then by the time we got there, the sun was up. Um, you know, we got, we landed at the dock at like seven o'clock in the morning and, you know, it's like, we're on land. It's great. We also had to be in quarantine because we had to go through customs. Right. Because we were, you know, in another country. Um, and then like, you know, there's some people there already. Like everybody had dark and stormies in their hand. I'm like, what exactly? Cause like, what is time? It's seven 30 in the morning, but like, is it really, <laughs> you right. know, and we're like, 7.30 in the morning, it, is there a better time for Dark and Stormies? I don't think there might, there is. I think that might be the best time. Um, it, she, you should really check out the episode because um, the amount of, of preparation work, detail that goes into it is pretty impressive. And, uh, yeah, nobody, nobody parties quite like Sailor's Party. 
and then Matt and Amelia, they come, they come to the determination that they need to do something more with their lives. So they decide they're going to enter a triathlon. They do enter a triathlon. They talk about training for a triathlon uh, alone. Sure. Yeah. They talk about training for a triathlon. And what that is basically is you take the money out uh, of a bank and they pay it back and you use it to purchase a bike and a swim trunks and uh, new shoes. So you can go participate in a triathlon. Um, then we talk to um, an old friend, Paul Cha Cha Chu Majewski. We talk about movies. We talk about uh, foreign food. We talk about um, Quentin Tarantino. We talk about um, Portsmouth. We talk about Georgia. We talk about it all, folks. Um, and if you just want to be entertained, listen to this guy because he has got uh, an amazing voice. Let's hear a little bit of. Cha cha chew. Okay. It's a goddamn lawn. It's a fucking dart. It's a missile with a pointy. Well, no unfair treatment. No, no. Blame, blame, blame the person. Guns don't kill people. Jarts, you know, in the hands of idiots kill people. So That's all I, got. I, I think I, th- I like that. I just want to make sure I understand your answer. So, what I was wondering is if you agreed or disagreed. The fact that you can no longer buy them, you have to buy them on like the black market yard sale circuit. You can't just go. Yeah, now they're, the, now the they're, end, they're all empty dull, box right? and air quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the empty box and air quotes um, on eBay. Uh, is it fair? Look, man, I'm all for social Darwinism, and if it's going to fucking thin out the herd, a few, a few more fucking people that need to be like you know reminded that if you're going to be dumb, you're going to pay the consequences. That's then right. I'm all for it. So yes, I absolutely disagree with the fact that they were taken off the market and you know i'm sure there'll be something else in a couple of years that'll replace it like everything else but- <laughs> yes a deep philosophical conversation about lawn darts otherwise known as jarts when we were growing up back in the late 70s early 80s really more late 70s they had this product called Lawn Dart, and it was exactly that it was imagine a dart that you would throw at a dart board and that magnify it like i don't know 30 times, 20 times, it's a lot heavier. It's not the same shape proportionally. It's just more like a, it's a little bit stouter, but there's a metal tip that's an actual piece of real metal. And then a handle like the back of a a dart, you know, would would look like. And the game was that you put a a circle on, on one side of a field. You put another circle across from it. You'd have one team that was colored blue, one that was colored yellow, and you would throw these lawn darts and try to get in the circle. Well, meanwhile, what you're really doing is you're throwing this big, huge, like heavy metal spike um, at your best friends. Like, and it's really not a great idea. I mean, honestly, when I think about it, it's like, okay, who was the guy that thought we have to come up with a new toy? What do we do? Well, first, let's get four pounds of metal. Let's point it like a uh, a dart. And then let's create a handle so that anybody can pick it up and throw it and almost have no control over where it goes. Then let's take that unwieldy, dangerous, deadly uh, piece of equipment and let's give it to two across, you know, set of children looking at each other and let's have them throw these things at each other. Like, I mean, really? And someone said, yes, yes. And Everybody fucking have them. Like, it's not just had them. 
everybody had them and it's not just the fucking toy manufacturers it's the parents like yes okay maybe they shouldn't be made okay fine but did the parents have to buy them and put them in place because what happened is there were a couple of kids like got one of these darts to the skull and that was it and then you can't get them anymore so that was a lot of time spent on um the topic of lawn darts but you know that that's what we do here um, then we had, uh, an ultra marathoner somebody who's lived all around the world. His name is Guy Cheney. Um, he was, um, a, a great guest and, and let's listen to some of special. that. You never- and I just wanted something different. And I also kind of had a longing to, to come back to the U S yeah. I wanted to kind of get some things squared away you know, financially. <clears throat> uh, my parents, although they're young, my dad's 73, they're only you know, 20 years younger, older than me. Right. My mom's 72. I wanted to come back, and my dad, Chance, had uh, started a retirement job. He's like, I'm going to fertilize lawns, spray lawns. He had done that early in his career. Yeah. You know, he'd retired. I remember that, yeah. yeah. you remember that. You did sure that rye back in the yeah. day, treating all the, the chinch bugs and stuff, and he had a landscaping. Treating all the chinch bugs. That's Guy Cheney talking about his dad. Um, great family, great people. Um, and uh, growing up in rye was just a special, special time, and, and – uh, you know, he's he's a pretty incredible guy. You know, he races like, or he's raced hundreds of miles at a time, and um, it's it's good shit. Then we had um, a, a dear friend of mine. Um, his name is Off the Grid Mike from Timberhawk Carpentry, um, which would be impressive enough. Uh, but in addition to that, the reason why he got his nickname Off the Grid Mike is because he's built a house, a beautiful house, a beautiful home. Uh, truly impressive um, domicile that is self-sufficient in every way. And he's got, you know, the, the solar panels and he's got uh, capturing water and, and he's growing his own vegetables. And um, it, it's really quite something. He's got chickens. He's got, um, he's got a geodesic dome. Uh, he's got two beautiful uh, Rhodesian Ridgeback dogs. Um, and he's a great, great dude. And he came in, and um, uh, it was great to have him live in studio talking about all of his adventures. Two, one, hello. You know, the most beautiful weather. Mm-hmm. Every day. Every day. All I had was shorts and T-shirts, and uh, certain times of year you had to put a sweatshirt on in the morning. Mm-hmm. But no seasons. I really missed that change. So I'd have to be somewhere with seasons. Okay. I like the, the cycle the seasons sure so parts of california yeah yeah have a season yeah so i'm looking for a state michael oh i know nail me down yep yeah well i guess i'd have to choose california just because if i'm allowed to choose a whole state it has a lot to offer yeah one of the things i love about that guy is that he is his own person and um you know, that was a perfect example like i asked a question and he just you know he couldn't answer it the normal way he had to do it the mic way and i love him for that so thank you for coming on the show then i talked a little bit about um so guster is a musical band out of portland maine uh they've got I th- they've got a few top 10 hits um they're, but they're not, i wouldn't call them a massive musical group but they've got a really um passionate and dedicated following and they've got some really good songs and they put on this event every year at thompson point in portland maine and it's called Guster on the Ocean. And they've been doing it for a few years. Um, 
And then, you know, I was like, me and my girlfriend were, were going to go up there. And and actually, the reason why I even looked at going um, was Alec, uh, Alex Dixon, who the improv uh, black belt who I had on my show, she was going to be going there and doing kind of like a little bit of improv comedy as part of the festival. But it ended up somehow, I think one of the three people that were going to do it um, couldn't do it or something like that. So uh, they... Uh, they they bailed on it, but in the meantime, I had bought tickets to go, and I figured, well, you know what? I want to go check out the improv, but I also I'll see what Gunther, you know, Gunther's all about Gunther. Sure, I'll see what Gunther's about, the little dog Gunther. I'll see what Gunther's about, and um, and that's what we did, and it was the best time. Like they really know how to put on an event, and so I walked away. I went to that show, not really caring about Guster and I walked away a Guster fan, like truly impressive. And if you guys are anywhere near the Portland main area in August of 2023, I highly encourage you to go check it out because it's a gorgeous setting. They've got food trucks. The vibe is incredible. The music is just fun. And, um, it's just, it's easy to get into. It's not like going to like great woods or something like crazy like that. Like, it's easy to pull in and park. It's easy to leave. We got an Uber from downtown. And then the best part is whenever you want to go, because it starts in the day, you go and then go to the old port, you know what I mean? Like, and have a, have a night down there. It's like, um, a, a lot of fun. Then after, um, after Guster, we had, uh, the results of Matt and Amelia finishing the triathlon, which they did very impressive. Those, those two are now triathletes. Uh, then I talked about Mantau Teo, Mantai Teo. Um, there's a Netflix documentary that you should all go check out. And, you know, my takeaway from watching it, I didn't really care about it when it happened at the time, to be honest with you. I, I, it was so far away from my consciousness. I was just like, whatever. That guy, like, you know, and, and that was the problem. It was like, it was one of those periphery stories that, like, you just believe what you heard. And if you really pay attention to what happened, it was like he was absolutely completely slandered, you know, by, by the, one of the original cases of catfishing before catfishing was catfishing. This dude get catfished. And my takeaway from watching the documentary was fucking cost him a billion dollars, cost him a billion dollars because it fucked up his head. It, he started playing like shit. Um, he dropped way down, way down in the draft, which kills your ego, kills your confidence. And it also kills your paycheck. Um, and it never really left him. That stigma always stayed with him that he had somehow been part of it or that he had lied in some way or been deceitful. And it was such an unfair position to put this poor kid into who had done nothing but just work hard and try to do the right thing his whole life. Um, you know, think about it. It cost him probably uh, jobs on network TV as a commentator or, or, you know, analyst or whatever, you know, it probably, it could have cost him like coaching opportunities. It could have cost him, he could have started like Manti Teo's youth football academy or who knows what endorsements with fucking Papa John's or Mountain Dew or some stupid car dealership, who knows, right? But add up all those opportunities that he was just never able to get near because there was a stigma attached to that guy because of a falsehood, Right. And then you go back in time and extrapolate it out, probably close to a billion dollars. And that was 
that was that episode. Um, and then we talked about talked to a guy, Fun and Gamester. We had a lot of fun with uh, Mr. Scott Gamester. Then we had a whole series in October. We had five episodes, Sober October. And the cool thing about our Sober October gang is that it's not just about alcohol or drugs. Um, it can be about anything. Um, you could pick any of your vices. So, for example, this year one of mine was I had to stop texting and driving. Terrible habit. And I'm a big-time, big, big, big-time offender. Um, so I, I took them, I, I made October the month that I actually just not, never look at my phone when I'm driving. Uh, we have another person that, <laughs> that had peanut butter on their list. We've had people, um, obviously alcohol was, was part of mine as, as well. Um, and alcohol was part of others, but not everybody's. Um, but the interesting thing is, and this person shall remain nameless, but one person a couple of years ago said, all right, I'm not going to smoke any, and this is a heavy marijuana user. And this person was like, all right, I'm not going to smoke marijuana for a month. And they haven't smoked uh, any marijuana since. Now, I'm not pro-using or anti-using, but I'll tell you this. If he felt like, all right, this is holding me back. I'm going to put it on the shelf for 30 days and see how I feel when that's done. And he does that. And at the end of it, he's like, okay, that's better, right? Like you give it up for 30 days. You're like, I like that better. And then you stay away from it. That's the essence of love of being an, an evolved human being like that's it um then i had eric klinger uh the world famous and award-winning author uh he's written a few novels um and they're they, i think a few of them are in a bidding war right now to become movies but his most recent work is the long shadow and it is a story about uh the mafia the music industry, uh, music in general, money, uh, loose morals. Let's hear what Eric has to say. And as a reward for him being such a stand-up guy, Fat Tony discloses that his grandfather had a Bahamian bank account that is, you know, got a, a pretty serious amount of money in it. And then they go through how to repatriate it, you know, with the IRS and, everything else. And they, they determined that it's best to leave it offshore and just invest it into his hedge fund. Now, Leo is not a hedge fund guy. Leo is a professional guitar player in New York city. His wife happens to work at Goldman Sachs. Okay. Convenient. <laughs> so he's like, so he's like, well, what hedge fund? What are you talking about? They're like the one you're going to set up. <laughs> So if you haven't already, go to your local bookstore, go online, uh, and get yourself a copy of The Long Shadow. It's an amazing story from an amazing author. Then we had Dan Finan on, uh, an um, environmental engineer focused on water systems, and we learned everything that we would ever want to know about how to clean water and about what happened to Jimmy Buffett um, and many other topics. It was great to have Dan on, great dude. And then we had an episode where we had a meeting of the minds. I'm not sure if it was a, um, I don't know if it was a brain trust necessarily, but uh, we did have uh, a series of people. I think there was one, two, three, four people on at once. We were talking about fantasy football, people that were in my fantasy football league uh, we talked about all kinds of different boring topics that only people that play fantasy football would care about. So I'm going to skip right over it. 
Then we talked to Devin Powell. Devin is an MMA champion. He also runs a MMA gym called Nostos in Summersworth, New Hampshire. Uh, Devin's a super cool dude, and um, he was with the UFC. He was with Bellator again. He was a champion. Um, he's suff- he, He's just a tough, tough cat, man. He suffered some pretty gnarly in, uh, injuries, um, and, you know, found himself in some pretty crazy situations. Uh, let's listen to, uh, what Devin has to say. Decisions, it'll haunt you forever. And, mm. you know, you'll always have like those regrets and those thoughts of like, what if of this or that? But like, I had a great opportunity that I took and it got me, you know, the, the recognition and, um, you know, the spotlight for a, a brief period of time. Um, you know, I get to win on some really cool platforms. I get to see some things that I realized that like what people around the world are doing that I need my fighters to be doing better than I did. Um, and I'm coaching all those guys in the right direction now. Now to be a head coach, that's not focusing on my own career at only 34. I think the, the sky is really the limit, you know? Yeah. Uh, very open with information about the sport, you know, very honest about, fighter pay, very honest about, you know, how medical bills come into play. He talks a lot about um, the, he's now coaching, uh, he's got a team, and he talks about some of his fighters that are doing really well. And he seems to attract, you know, people that are super dedicated, super hardworking. And, you know, there's one person, I think he, he trains seven days a week, lives above the gym, like, you know, there's another person that I think is like driving, I don't know, some crazy, like two hours each way or something nuts like that. Um, so he, he's built a real community there and I, and I love that. And thank you for coming on the show, Devin. Then we had, oh my God, this was a great one too. There is an unbelievable retail store in Amesbury, Massachusetts. It's called Empire. Um, you'll know it because it's the largest storefront in town and it is the only, uh, hemp store in town. So if you're looking for CBD for yourself, CBD for your children, CBD for pets, uh, CBD for your hair or any other hemp product that you might ever imagine, you need to go check out Hempire. And I was lucky enough to speak with the manager of the store. Her name is Gina Farrow. And here's a little bit of what Gina had to say on the show. Right off of Main Street, right? This presence, think about it. I can be turned into, we are all a part of. Getting think, past me. Um, um, go if you're ever in the Portsmouth area. Oh, Gina, you're back. Play a game oh, called that's right. 20 Questions. I, I, <laughs> I should probably explain why there was such a big chunk of uh, me talking. So she was gracious enough to allow me to talk to her while she was at the store, but the store happened to be open late that night because they were doing some kind of like holiday drinking shop or something like that in the town of Amesbury. Um, and so she was like, look, if customers come in, I'm going to have to jump. And I totally get that because my mom ran a retail store for over 30 years. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, absolutely. So there was probably like a big block of like maybe 10 or 12 minutes where I just talked. So I'm going to, I'm going to get past that and play some of her. CBD too. I love cannabis. So, one, of course, we can't make claims on what CBD can do. I can only talk about its potential benefits. However, I would say it's most predominantly used for its uh, anti-inflammatory properties. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and a general kind of rule of thumb that we always have is to start low and slow. Um, typically, we recommend if you don't see relief after about a week, you could start titrating up gradually. Um, as far as what product to start with, I do try to break it down by delivery um, because, you know, it's, it's a it's a large market and there are many ways to take CBD. Sure. I like to recommend, um, you know, generally starting 10 to 15 milligrams and, um, you know, however you may want to take it. So oils are, I would say, my personal preferred delivery. They're taken sublingually under the tongue and they're absorbed through our bloodstream. Mm-hmm. I find that people tend to get more a more accurate and effective dose when it's taken sublingually versus an edible or a capsule. Sure. Um, so when we take CBD in edible or capsule form, it's digested and broken down and processed through our liver, which can be a little bit of a slower delivery um, and doesn't tend to be quite as effective. Gotcha. What a wealth of knowledge. I mean, <laughs> if you guys have any questions about hemp, about CBD, about how to use it, dosage, reasons to use it, benefits, et cetera, et cetera. You need to go immediately to Empire in Amesbury. She's truly uh, a, uh, an expert um, in, in a field that's very beneficial. The hemp plant can help a lot of people. And then the last show of the year that we did um, was a World Cup overview with our friend, Mr. Scott fun and gamester um we talked about you know the 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 roughing problem there was there was some uh, a lot of criticism about the refs at the world cup this year we also talked about um you know the uh how the commentating in the united states is 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 very much lacking compared to uh the uk or, or even latin america and you know, I made a comment that me and my girlfriend watched one of the games and we watched the Spanish commentary, even though he didn't really understand most of what was being said, it was actually more passionate. And you could just tell that the person, even though I didn't know the language, I could tell that the person had a better grasp of the game than, you know, the, you know, the, the guy that really barely cares about the sport. Um, uh, so anyway, let's play a little bit of that and, and see... See what we can hear. Hello. I want him to go away completely again. Um, well, I to Morocco and then uh, <laughs> inconsistencies. Air players, Brazil's shut up. Full of win that game, and, and they actually got a significant game that he. Right. Well, I'm not that good at she rocking, so to the internal shame of my family, but don't tell anybody that between us. Yeah, I won't say. But the um, if you like, they were rugged. I mean, they were. They played not. I mean, not dirty, but really, really, really tough. Mm-hmm. So, like, it seemed like there was a lot of plays where I was like, hmm, that's an odd. And it didn't feel like that ref was in control of that game at all, right? Worse than favoring one side. It just, he didn't have control of the game, and it was calling weird things. And I think at one point they actually forced him to go, well, the second the second PK. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, they yeah. they kind of, like, I, I think they were going to leave the field if you didn't go look at it. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's totally a penalty kick. Right, right. Yeah, that's just one example of many of, of how, you know, look, the World Cup wasn't perfect, but at the end of the day, I think this year's World Cup, 2022, will go down in the history books as being one of the better um, better tournaments. I mean, it was every single uh, game was tight, very competitive, very few lopsided games, which is really – it's. All you want in soccer. I was a soccer coach for 12 years. I was a ref for like six years. 
And I got to tell you that the most important thing is you've got evenly matched teams. If you have teams that are not evenly matched, it's not fun. It's no fun to watch someone lose 10, nothing. That's not, that's not fun to watch. What's fun to watch is two evenly matched teams with, you know, some of the best athletes on the planet trying to systematically and strategically and tactically break the other set of 11 men down and put a goal past them. And, you know, I know Americans love to see goals, but 10 nothing is not a good game. You know, I've, I've seen games that are 0-0 that are more exciting than, you know, a high-scoring baseball game, for sure, for sure. Um, but, but this World Cup, I mean, that final game, um, I'm not sure if I've seen a better competitive soccer game ever in my life. I mean, it was just unbelievable. If you wrote it, before that happened, if you wrote the script and you tried to sell it to a a production company, they'd be like, "This is the stupidest story because it's never gonna it's never gonna go that way." Like Argentina had it in their hands three separate times, and three separate times France came back and brought it to the next step. And the everyone's like, you know, Messi, 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 and and absolutely, Messi was a big part of the reason why they won. But that goalkeeper. That's the guy. That is the guy. Um, if you can point to one person and say, without without this one person, we couldn't have won. Because you know what? I'm not saying that you definitely could win without Messi, but you definitely could not win without that goalie, right? So um, we could have that debate all night long, but we're not going to. Uh, so I just wanted to say officially thank you to everyone who was on the show. Uh, it was my pleasure to have you on. It was a really cool list of people. And I'm looking forward to the guests that we've got lined up for 2023. Uh, we're probably going to stick to kind of the same format, you know, uh, mostly individual guests from time to time. We will have some panels and once in a while, I'll just jump on myself, but I really, the, the reason why I do this, the reason why uh, there is a no outlet is because I love talking to people. And, you know, as I'm putting this together, I'm listening to all the different people that I've had conversations with this year. I'm like, wow. You know, it's like hearing it again, hearing that conversation. Like, I haven't listened to some of those people have a conversation with me since I did it, you know, so, you know, January, February of last year. And like hearing it again, I'm like, Wow. You know, because it's not like I sit around and listen to the listen to the episodes over and over again, right? I mean, it's like I have the conversation. And I literally, I almost never listen again because it's not about the listening back. It's I just I like talking to people. So um, I'm hoping to do a lot more of it in 2023. Get some new guests. I will do a lot more of it in 2023. We're gonna get some amazing, amazing guests. And thank you so much for listening. That went longer than I thought it was going to. I was hoping for under an hour. I didn't quite make it 14 minutes over. I apologize. Please forgive me. And I I hope you guys have an amazing day, week, month. Um, Best of everything to all of you. Thank you.